0: Jesus. There is something about that name. There's something about just being able to say His name that invites peace. It, it's hard to be angry when Jesus' name is on your lips. It's hard to be frustrated. It's hard to be sad when Jesus' name is spoken. There's a peace that comes over our circumstances, that comes over our lives. Today we begin a new message series where we're going to walk through Paul and Timothy's letter to the Colossians. If I were going to summarize this letter, I would have to say it speaks to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. The title of the series is called Greater Than. Christ alone is greater than. Fill in the blank. Paul's letter focuses on Jesus and how, when we lose sight of Jesus and his truth, things begin to crumble, things begin to look differently. And how important Jesus is to life. Christ alone. I'm sure if you've been around Christians long enough, if you've been around the church long enough, you've heard someone say, Jesus is all you need. And more than likely, they said it when you probably didn't believe it in that moment. Because people, especially Christians, are really good about saying dumb things when pain is involved. When someone loses a loved one and, or a child is taken at a young age and, and they say, well, it was God's will. Just, you have my permission to just spiritually reach out and smack them in the name of Jesus if they ever say that to you. Because what person wants to think that it was God's will that your child be taken? No one wants to think that in that moment. No one wants to think that it was God's will in in the midst of pain and tragedy going on in their lives. Now, does that mean it's not his will? No. But in the midst of pain, are we thinking about what the other person's feeling when we say those things? You see, it's a difference between us saying it and us actually believing it and feeling it. As followers of Christ, can we come to a place where we can say, Jesus is all I need. And you know what I've learned is, it's really hard to believe that and live that when you have so much of everything else around you. But we come to believe that more when tragedy strikes. And the only thing we have to lean back on is Jesus. And he reveals to us that Jesus is all we need. So before we jump into... This letter to the Colossians. I want to give you a little bit of context, um, a little bit of background into this letter to help us better understand where we're going with this letter. So, we're actually going to walk through the letter of Colossians this whole summer. So, starting today, I know today's May, and most people don't think it's summer yet. So, June and July, we're going to be looking. ...at this letter to the Colossians. So the authors of this letter are Paul and his protege, Timothy. The letter is to Christ followers in the city of Colossae. So, to give you a little idea, and I know this will make perfect sense because everybody got A pluses in geography... Um, So Colossae is a city of Phrygia, um, which is located in Asia Minor. Um, It's the the red one up there. Um, You see Ephesus, kind of the biggest one, and if you go down to the right a little bit, um, it's southeast of Laodicea and Heropolis, so just kind of giving you an idea of when we think and we read scripture, we hear a lot of these places mentioned, Ephesus being a big one. And so kind of giving you an idea of where we're looking at, where we're talking about. Um, it's actually in um, it's near a mo- the modern day city of Hanas, um, which is at the base of Mount um, Cadmus which is actually in modern-day Turkey. So that might help you a little more, right? Turkey. That's where um, um, Colossae is located today. So the the letter is actually being written from prison. So Paul is in a Roman prison, um, and he's waiting for his case to be heard by the emperor. And So much like today, where prisoners can have visitors, they could have visitors then. It was a little different in um, they actually came, and it almost seemed like they stayed for a long period of time, almost like a guest at the prison. It was kind of weird. But we know that this letter is written by Paul and Timothy, and so the belief is that Timothy actually physically wrote the letter, why Paul kind of spoke the letter for Timothy to write. So Paul and Timothy are both writing this from a Roman prison. One of the things you learn about Paul when he writes is he never writes for no reason. There's always a reason behind why he sends a letter to the church. And so the reason for this letter specifically was um, Epaphras Um, who was one of Paul's uh, colleagues and a leader in the church of Colossae, had come to visit Paul in the Roman prison. And he told Paul about all of the reasons to be encouraged about what was happening in the people in Colossae. He was excited and he was encouraged in the faith that was growing in these people, in these new Christ followers. But there was one thing that was troubling to Paul. And herein lies the main reason for him writing this letter. There were some Christians in Colossae who were entertaining a form of teaching that subverted the purity of the gospel that Paul preached. And in believing this, it would force them kind of give up the spiritual freedom that they had, and it would put them in spiritual kind of bondage. And we'll we'll talk more about what that looks like, some today and some a little later. But people had begun believing this heresy and bringing it into the church. So heresy is any belief that is contrary to or goes against The established beliefs of the church. So anything that goes against, and and so Christians had started believing this false teaching, if you will. The people bringing this into the church were wanting to make things more difficult, they were wanting to add to the simplicity of the gospel. And it was to safeguard the Christians in Pelasce that he sends this letter to them. In writing, Paul had a purpose. But in writing, he was also in a prison which gives his purpose even more strength and power. And as we walk through this letter, we have to remember where Paul was when he's writing it. Because he's literally in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard all day long. And when the shift changes, a new Roman guard comes in, and he gets unshackled from that guard and shackled to the one. He's in prison for Christ. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that these walls, these chains, they can't stop God. Why would you want to take the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus and make it more difficult, and add to it. So let's look at kind of the first 14 verses. We'll read through the scripture, and, and then we'll come back to it and break it down. So starting at verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and above which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, through the wis- through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the lord and pleasing in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of god being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us From the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Starting in verse 3 through verse 8, Paul is beginning his letter with remarks of thanksgiving. Paul is not launching into this session of patting himself on the back and being proud of the fact that people have understood what he has taught and, and people are actually living it out. He, he's not saying, man, I did a great job of raising up leaders to send to you, to teach you the ways of Christ. No, what Paul is doing is literally praising God for what the people of God are doing. He's praising and acknowledging what God is doing in the people in Colossae and through the people that God has sent to them. In verses 4 and 5, the gospel, the people of Colossae had first come to believe and live out. It says is the essence of truth. It is truth. says because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven Paul speaks verse 5 of this faith and love that the Colossian Christians had and how it's anchored in hope, that because of the hope that they have, their faith is grown. The love that they have for other people has grown. The hope of which Paul speaks and gives thanks is not the act of hoping in and of itself. It's not that you're hoping in something. It's a hope that you have because of who Christ is. It's a hope that you have because of what you do not yet have. But yet you believe in the promise that Jesus gives The faith and love these Christians have is sound. It's praiseworthy and it's priceless because of the hope who that faith and love is found in. We can have hope in a lot of things, but hope that is in Christ is hope that we can bank on we can trust it we can know that he's going to fulfill the promises he's given us verse 6 says that the gospel bearing fruit around the world is bearing fruit around the world why would paul say that you see i believe paul says it is because it's one thing to see that what you now believe in is bearing fruit around you. But it's a whole other thing when you see and hear about the fruit that is being born out of faith and love around the world. What Paul is saying is, you're not alone. And see, we're not alone. The thing that we have to think about, and it's really easy for us to come to church, and especially after COVID, and look around and say, where's everybody at? But the reality is, we're not alone. There are Christians all over the world who are living out their faith, who are showing their love because of the hope that they have a hope that has not been destroyed by mass shootings that take place in schools and, and malls and places that we should feel safe. It, that doesn't take away this kind of hope. The, the war in Ukraine, it doesn't take away the faith that the Ukrainian Christians have because their hope isn't in their leader to to, to save them from the war. No, their hope is in what Jesus Christ has done for the eternal soul, not just here. In verses 9 and 10, Paul references knowledge. A couple of times, listen to this. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, the heresy that the Colossian Christians had started bringing into the church and started believing was a form of Gnosticism that had been fused with the, the Judaism of the Phaegrians, so the, the people in this, the area. So Colossae uh, was kind of a subsidy. We might think of it as a suburb of Phagria. And so, kind of the the native Judaism, You think of it like this. So, there's American Christianity, and there's European Christianity. It looks kind of different when you go over there, right? Because culture kind of shapes things. And so, their culture had started being infused now with Gnosticism. So, I'll tell you what Gnosticism is. So, Gnosticism emphasizes right knowledge or correct knowledge as a way of salvation. It was this idea of um, dualism in that there were multiple pieces of salvation, multiple pieces of belief that involved the the spiritual realm, but also the, the material realm. And they both played a part. It's, can, can you see how it's starting to look a little more world and a lot less truth of Christian faith? Because they were bringing in material things, what Scripture might refer to or refers to as idols. They, they were beginning to put hope in these other material things rather than Jesus. It was starting to kind of muddy the truth And so Paul's talking about and says he's praying for that they will have the knowledge that can only be given through one thing, which he says in verse 9. Where does this knowledge come from? Verse 9, at the very end of verse 9, it says, The knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us have the knowledge and wisdom to understand what is truth and what is not. So if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we don't have the Holy Spirit living in us, we're going to have a hard time distinguishing what is truth and what is not. So, do we have the Holy Spirit in our lives? So what is this simplicity of the gospel? The simplicity of the gospel we see in verses 13 and 14. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That is the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus Christ, who is the son of God, came, gave his life, took on the punishment of our sin so that we could have our sin forgiven end. The simplicity of the gospel. But this other belief was adding to it. No, there's more to it. There's some material things that go on that that play a part in how you're able to believe you're muddy in the water. And so they, they were just this but you notice what he says. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You see that dominion of darkness still exists. We can see it everywhere we go. Turn on the news, it's there. Look on social media, it's there. It's all around us. But we have a hope. Because we've been rescued from that dominion of darkness. Even that even though that darkness is all around us, it doesn't have control of us. Because of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, this is a hard one for us to think about because I don't know about you, but I think when I hear the word worthy and Jesus and what he did for me, a lot of us think I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy because of the things that I've done. I'm not worthy of what Jesus did for me. Verse 10, he says, so that you may live, let me rewind just a little bit so you can get the full picture here. Halfway through verse nine, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Why do they pray that? Here's why. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please him in every way. He's praying for us. He's praying for us. L- let, me, let me put someone on the spot r- real quick. So, um, Shailen's family. You knew how she felt about God. How she kind of distanced herself from God. Did you ever stop praying that she would come back to her faith in God? No, you didn't. Good answer. No, see, that, that's what he's talking about. We, we never stop praying for you. You see, there's the air even... In the point of, oh, they believe, they believe in Christ, Jesus, now praise God, and then we stop praying for them. Why? No, you need to pray for them even more because that dominion of darkness is now ticked off and is coming after them even more. And it's going to do everything they can to get them back. And so we need to pray for them so that they can grow in the knowledge in the wisdom of God. So how's that happen? How how do we continue to do this? Well, it's a good thing you're reading the same scripture because he tells us in verses 11 and 12 or 10, verse the end of 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might. You notice that the power isn't yours. It's God's. It's His power and His glorious might that enables us to become strengthened. So that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. And You think I'm not worthy. You're right. You're not worthy. But Jesus has qualified you. As worthy. Through the forgiveness of your sins. See what verses 10 through 12 are telling us. Is that sound thinking. Leads to. Sound living. Right thinking lives to right, leads to right living. If you don't believe truth, you won't live into that truth. So what does bearing fruit look like. Four quick things that we see. Number one is we bear fruit in every good work. The good that we do for others and for each other, even the good that we do for ourselves, is that fruit that we see. And the goal is to see more good fruit coming out of our life than bad fruit, right? You think about with the time of Jesus, so many gardening analogies because that is what the culture they lived in. They grew up in an agricultural area, and so they knew how to plant things in a place that wasn't all that great for growing stuff, it was hot. It was dry. It was sandy. But they could grow stuff. And so he uses a lot of these agricultural analogies. And so when he says bearing fruit, they immediately would have thought about crops. They would have thought thought about fruit trees. And when they have a tree that's not bearing any fruit, what do they do? They cut that sucker out because it's taking precious, vital nutrients away from the other plants and trees. So they get rid of it. If you're not bearing fruit, it's gotten rid of so that the others can bear more fruit. Luckily, that analogy stops with that. We're not going to cut you out and just get rid of you if you're not bearing enough fruit. We're going to pray for you even more. So bearing fruit in every good work, the second thing we see is that there's this growth that takes place in the knowledge of God. If you're not reading Scripture, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not doing some form of discipleship to grow in the knowledge of God, it's going to be hard to understand It's going to be hard to to grow in your faith if you don't know who God is. The The third thing we see is this being empowered. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh, We could talk about endurance all day long. Um, Distance running coach. I I mean, it's something I pray for on a regular basis because I don't have it anymore. And my patience runs very thin when I don't have it. But it says that you may be empowered because it's there. But you have to work at it. Are we empowering each other in our faith? Or are we trying to carry people into their faith? You see, the church has done this for way too long. Not just, I'm not just talking about this one. I'm talking about church as a universal. We've done our kids, we, we've done, your young adults, the biggest disservice... By showing them our faith, by by teaching them our faith, but never encouraging them to find their own. Because what happens, they go outside the house, they're on their own, and all of a sudden, their parents' faith is not strong enough. What I mean by that is because what you've taught them is what they only have up here. It's not made the journey hear. And so if we encourage them, you find your faith. Don't take my word for it. You need to find it for yourself. You need to eventually come up to a place where you're feeding yourself. You're not relying on my faith anymore. You're relying on yours. That we empower each other to grow. And the fourth thing is giving joyful thanks. Not begrudging thanks. Not a thanks that is like, if I have to, I'll thank you for this. I don't like it, but I'll thank you because I know I'm supposed to. It's kind of like the parents. Jennifer and I are guilty of this too, um, but one of the things I, I've come across is that parents are really good at forcing kids to apologize. So in other words, what we've, re- we've done is reinforced the concept of lying. Think about it. Because we forced them to say, I'm sorry for doing that. When they're not sorry for doing it. Mm -hmm. But God, I thank you. It says thanks, giving thanks, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Again, you're not alone. The inheritance in his holy people in the kingdom of, not darkness, but light. Think about that. The beauty of light is darkness cannot overcome it. Think about it. Go into a dark room. Just walk in, dark. Let your eyes, don't even let your eyes adjust. It's, just, it's dark in there. Turn on a light and see which one wins. I don't know about you, but anytime I've done that, unless the bulb was burnt out or the batteries were dead, light always wins. Light always overcomes darkness. It's not a coincidence that God uses light and darkness when he's talking about good and evil. Good will always giving thanks to God in our lives today can we give joyful thanks not because you have to because you want to and that carries over to so many other things I cannot make you be a Christian you have to want to be a follower of Jesus. I cannot make you come to church. You have to want to be there, regardless of how boring it is, regardless of anything else. You want to be there. You see, the reality is there are churches that will give people whatever they want to get them there. keep them there and it does not make them believe in Jesus you have to want that you have to want those things so what Paul is saying to the people in the Colossian church is you have to want and desire truth you have to seek it And when you do, everything else flows out of that truth. And that dominion of darkness is overcome. Stand with me. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you today that we have a million reasons to praise you. We might have half a million reasons to be frustrated and angry, but God, you will always conquer death. You will always conquer evil. God, I thank you that as followers of Christ, you call us into something more. No matter where we are, no matter how good of a Christian we are, you call us in to something more. God, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to, as Paul says, pray for each other, to to lift each other up, to continually pray for your wisdom and guidance. Be glorified in us, Jesus, as we seek to grow in faith and love through the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.